You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn Midtown. In this series, we are following Jesus as He calls us to take on His yoke so that we may experience true flourishing. Well, peace be with you. I pray that you are doing well this morning. It is always uh, a joy to be able to open up God's word and to uh, explain it and preach it to you. If you are visiting with us online uh, and this is your first time, my name is Jamal and I am the lead pastor here at Sojourn. And we are thrilled that you would join us here today. And no matter the state of your heart right now, as you listen and watch this live stream, I just want you to know um, as a Christian that you can have confidence that God is with you because he told us that he would never leave us nor forsake us. And even though we don't know uh, what tomorrow holds, as believers, we know who holds tomorrow. So let's open up with a word of prayer and we'll dive in. Uh, Father, I thank you that you are a God who is in control. And Lord, I worship you because nothing is outside of your control. You see, you know, you hear all things. And not only, Lord, are you omnipresent and uh, all all knowing, uh, Lord, you are all good. Everything about you is good through and through. And so, Father, we worship you and we beg you to have your way uh, through the preaching of your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit, um, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would indwell me and allow me uh, to not be distracted and to preach Christ and him crucified. And Lord, I pray for those who are listening. I pray that you would soften their hearts and draw their attention to you even now. Not by might nor by power, but by your spirit, O Lord of hosts. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. A great tragedy occurred in 1982 in Chicago, Illinois, when people went to a grocery store and they bought Tylenol. And unbeknownst to them, Tylenol, this tested drug, was tampered with in the store as someone laced it with cyanide. As a result, seven people died as they intook this Tylenol, believing that it was good. I mean, how disorienting uh, that must have been to learn this as a family member of the people who died. How disorienting it must have been to know that you went to something that was trusted, something that was fixed, something that was good, and that it became loose, that it became undependable. And many of us during this time, during this pandemic, uh, know a a small fraction of how that feels. As before COVID-19 struck, uh, most of our life was fixed. Most of our life seemed together. Most of our life seemed predictable and some aspects even seemed permanent. But with this pandemic, all those things have become loose. All those things have become shaky. And this is not just experienced here in America. This is what people are experiencing globally. Many people are wondering if there is anything viable, anything durable, anything unchangeable, anything that they can latch on to that will provide sure footing. And the answer is clearly yes. 
And as Christians, we can point to a number of things that is sure, that is viable, that is uh, durable during this time. But today I want to focus on one, and that is, is that we as Christians can stand with certainty that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, that it will go on. One of the most beautiful promises in Scripture is found in verse 8 of today's text. And it says in verse 18, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower. And the gates of Hades will not overpower. This is a often quoted verse. And it should give everyone who is a part of the church confidence, even if you don't entirely know what it means, because this verse sings triumph. And here in this passage today, in verse 18, we see that that Jesus uses the word church or ecclesia for the first time um, in the gospel narrative. The church, the ecclesia, are those who are called out, those who have been set apart by God. And in Matthew, we see that this first comes out of the mouth of Jesus here, and Jesus is the head of the church. In today's passage, Jesus is literally laying down the foundation of his church And through today's sermon, I pray that you would leave with confidence and hope, knowing that the church will go on forever and ever. Today, I just stopped by to give you a Duracell theology, a theology that that says that the church will last. The church will go on and on. You, the church are the confessing, conquering and discipled people of God who has lost your life to gain true life. You, the church, you are the confessing, conquering, and discipled people of God who lost your life in order to gain your life. And because you are a part of the church, you can live with absolute certainty and confidence that God will keep you and that his movement through you will last In verse 13, this pericope begins as Jesus comes into the region known as Caesarea Philippi, which is on the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee. It's about 25 miles from where Jesus, much of Jesus' ministry was taking place. And so Jesus takes his disciples about 25 miles away from where most of his uh, uh, ministry is taking place. And this is going to serve as a retreat for Jesus and his disciples as they are stepping away from the demanding Galilean crowds so that they can experience a important breakthrough. And here, uh, Jesus is going to ask the disciples uh, a question, and it's going to serve as a pop quiz. And as we look at this question that he's asking, we want to know uh, that this question is getting to our first point today, which is is that the church is the confessing people of God. And Jesus asked this question, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And the Bible says that the disciples answered and that their answer was all over the place. Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. 
So within this answer, we do see uh, some similarity. Um, Each of these comparisons are positive references, one. And each of these comparisons are also a prophet's. And if anybody in Israel during that time would have been called any three of these names, it would have been a compliment. But to Jesus, this is the wrong answer because Jesus is more than a prophet. And so Jesus takes it from the general with his disciples and he gets to the particular and he asks them another question, another pop quiz. Who do people say that the son of man is? And the disciples, they answer or Peter answers and speaks up. And he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Mm, Peter, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. This is a declaration of faith. This is a declaration from a, a, a Jewish man who has spent time with Jesus. And as he has spent time with Jesus, he is coming to realize and to see that Jesus is, is more than Moses, more than Elijah, and more than John the Baptist, that there is something unique and special about Jesus. And he calls him the son of the living God. Make no mistake about it that Peter knew that this type of declaration could have meant his own death or his own trouble because this is a a declaration that other Jewish leaders would have saw as blasphemous. The son of the living God. In John chapter five, we see that Jesus refers to uh, God the father as father and the Pharisees and the religious leaders want to kill Jesus because they realize that by calling your uh, God the father that you were claiming divinity. Peter here makes this claim of divinity. You are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And this is a declaration of faith because Peter has not up until this point had a lesson on the Trinity. Jesus has not sat down with Peter and been like, here's how it goes. Uh, uh, I am uh, one in essence and nature with the Father. And the Father is one in essence and nature with me. And the Holy Spirit is one in essence and nature with, with, with us. See, there is one God and three persons and each person is fully God. Peter hadn't had that theological lesson. Jesus hadn't spilled all those beans yet. But Peter has come to this conclusion because he has seen Jesus open death ears and give sight to the blind and raise a little girl from the dead by saying telephakuma and and calm still waters by uh, walking on it and saying peace be still. Peter has come to this revelation and he confesses that Jesus Christ is in essence Lord. And this is the confession of the church. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 Paul writes, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And look at how Jesus responds to Peter. When Peter makes this confession of faith, the same confession of faith that we all must make in order to be in the church, in order to be forgiven of our sins, in order to be reconciled with God. Jesus responds, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. Blessed, blessed. Jesus takes us back to Matthew chapter five here, doesn't he? To the Beatitudes, blessed, happy, and whole. 
Flourishing are you. And I love how he calls him by his full government name, Simon, son of Jonah. Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father. Again, Jesus is talking in ways that no one would have talked in the first century. But my father who is in heaven has revealed this to you. Listen, salvation is the supernatural act of God revealing the truth about the world to a person. And people receive this revelation by grace, not by works. It's because God has revealed it to them. Peter has come to this place by divine special revelation from God. And if you are a part of the church, you are a part of the church because God has set his affection and his grace upon you, not because of works. He has drawn you to himself. John chapter 6, verse 44 says, no one can come to me, Jesus says, unless the father who sent me draws him. This should humble us all today. And this should lead us to worship right where we are in our homes, in the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of all that we're going through. We can praise God that he set his affection on us, that he pierced through the dark clouds of our soul and that he saved us and brought us to himself by grace through faith. The church is not only a confessing people, but the church is a conquering people. In verse 18, it says, and I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Here's what the assembled people of God from the past, present, and future are. We are a people that will conquer and not be conquered. Now, before I unpack all of that, let me uh, point your attention uh, to something that has been uh, quite controversial. And that is Jesus speaks to Peter and he says that on this rock, I built my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail. There are some who believe, specifically Catholics, that here Jesus is establishing what we call the papacy. That that Peter is here ordained as the first bishop of Rome. That he is essentially the first pope. That he is the authoritative representative of Christ on earth. And what Catholics believe is that when the pope speaks ex-cathedra, that is in his official capacity as head of the church, that he is said to speak with divine authority equal to God in scripture. And as Protestants, we don't believe that. I don't believe that when Jesus pointed to Peter, whose name means rock, and he said, Peter, upon this rock, I built my church and the gates of hell would not prevail against. I don't believe that he was giving Peter a special call of Pope. No, I agree with David Platt, who says that this text is not about a necessary pope. It's about a non-negotiable declaration. This text is not about an infallible pope. It's about an invincible mission. What Jesus does here is important. And Peter plays an important role, but not as the first pope. Rather, Peter was the first to preach that Jesus was the Messiah and the Son of God. Peter's name, who means rock, is pointed to as the foundation of the church, but not in the Catholic way. 
Peter is the foundation of the church in that he is the first to proclaim Jesus as the son of God. He is the first to preach it and that the church will be built upon this confession of faith, this confession of preaching. So Peter is the foundation stone of Jesus's new community of restored people of God, a community that will last forever. And I believe that this is what Jesus means, but more than that, at its deepest level, the rock is the church proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church is built upon the faithful preaching of the gospel of the saints. But what does the gates of Hades mean? In some translations, it says the gates of hell upon this rock, I build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Well, this term is a Jewish idiom for the place of the dead. To say the powers of death should not prevail against the community is to say that they will not be stopped by death. Death can't stop the Messiah. And since the church is the body of Christ, it can't stop his body as well. Listen, Jesus isn't saying that local churches won't close, for they do. He's not saying that Christians won't taste death because they do. Christians have died in this pandemic and Christians are martyred all over the world every single year. But what Jesus is talking about here is that the body of Christ will not be overthrown and and ultimately not destroyed even by death itself. As J.C. Rowe wrote, the church may be persecuted, oppressed, imprisoned, beaten, beheaded, and burdened, but the true church is never altogether extinguished. It rises again from its affliction. It lives on through fire and water. The pharaohs, the Herods, the Neros have labored in vain to put down the church. The true church outlives them all and sees them buried each in its turn. The church is a bush which is often burning and yet not consumed, burning and never consumed. Under communist rule in China, burning but never consumed. Under socialist rule in Cuba, burning but never consumed. Under the antebellum south south on slave plantations, the church was burning but never consumed. The church is the body of Christ. And because the head, Jesus, is victorious and defeated death, so will the confessing church. In verse 21, it is recorded from then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and to suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests and the scribes, be killed and be raised the third day. And this is a very important point in Matthew's gospel. In fact, this is the the hinge of the entire book of Matthew. Uh, From this point on, from Peter's profession that Jesus is the son of God, not simply the son of man, which points to his humanity, which points us back to Daniel chapter seven, um, a picture of the coming Messiah. But that Jesus is the son of God, God in the flesh. From this point on, Matthew's narrative and gospel changes as Jesus' focus now is to prepare the disciples for his crucifixion and his resurrection. 
And so Jesus begins to tell them that, that he must now suffer many things as a result of the elders, chief priests, scribes, and that he must be killed. And we know that the resurrection points to the fact that the gates of hell will not prevail against Jesus. And even today in the midst of this pandemic, the church, I want you to hear me say that everything is going to be okay. Everything is going to be fine. Uh, some people in the midst of this pandemic think that somehow that the churches will be impacted and that the mission of Jesus has been thwarted or, or stopped or slowed down. The mission of Jesus is always on the move. Nothing can stop the church. The church, Jesus is present with the church. Finally, we want to look at not only the fact that the church is a confessing people and that the church is a conquering people, but lastly, we want to look at the fact that the church is a learning people. The church is a learning people. We're a disciple people. <laughs> In other words, the church, uh, we're a mess. We're a people who are becoming. Look at the text. After Jesus makes this proclamation and preaches the gospel, saying that he is going to live, die, and resurrect, Peter took, takes him aside and he rebukes Jesus, verse 22, oh no, Lord, Mm-mm. this will never happen to you. And Jesus turned and told Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. Jesus gives Peter a really strong rebuke. And Peter is like all of us as Christians. One second, we're having a hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, God is good moment. And the second, next second, we are putting our foot in our mouth filled with doubt, wondering if God loves us. And if you're like me, especially in this pandemic, you can have some really high highs and maybe some really low lows, again, as everything that was seemed to be fixed is now loose. And Jesus rebukes Peter. Why does Jesus rebuke Peter hard? I mean, he came at him hard. Get behind me, Satan. If I was one of the disciples, I'd have like, dang, son. Like for one second, he is being praised. Like, man, I'm building my church on you. Like on this confession, dude, you are the real MVP. The next second, you're Satan. And this really points to the tension that we all live with as Christians. And this, in essence, is, is what it means to be a disciple. A disciple is a lifelong learner. A disciple is someone who is submitting to the lordship of Jesus to the yoke of Jesus, we read in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28, that his, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. A disciple is a person who is becoming. And it's so encouraging to see Peter becoming. And what is he becoming? Peter is becoming a, a better follower, a person who is seeing Jesus 
and who is growing in the likeness of Jesus more and more and who is learning to deny himself and to take up his cross and follow me. And I love that Jesus does not hold punches here. He tells Peter that this is going to be a process. You're going to have to follow me. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It simply means to abide in Jesus. It means to dwell with him. It means to remain in him. And he says, and you are constantly having to take uh, up your cross and and put down your own selfish, self-centered desires. It's you and I choosing Jesus more and more. This is who the church is. The church, the people of God. We are confessing people and we continue to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord in the midst of situations as years and years go by. The church, we are a conquering people. We are people who can lift up our head knowing that we are the apple of God's eye. We have been redeemed by God and the gates of hell would not prevail. And we are a discipled people, a becoming people who is learning to lose our life so that we can find true life and abundant life. And if you're listening to this live stream today and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to give your life to this Jesus. This Jesus who was fully human, who left heaven and came to earth in order for us as humans to have a chance to be reconciled with God, to be forgiven of all of our sins, past, present, and future. And the way in which this happened is that this Jesus who who came as a human being, he also came as, as fully God. It's one of the great mysteries of the universe. And he lived the life that we could not live. And he died the death that we deserve to die. But he was resurrected from the dead. And he purchased a people for himself who will look to him by faith and and not by works. Who will place all of their, their trust in him. And I know that some of you who are listening to this live stream out of curiosity to maybe learn what it means to be a Christian or learn what maybe your friends believe, you have a hard time with the church because you look at the church and you say, man, these people are messy. I know people who say that they're Christians, but, but man, they, they have issues and problems just like me. And I want you to see that as the discipled people of God, we are a becoming people. We are not a, a perfect people. Sometimes we are hypocritical. We get angry. We lust. We are greedy. We fight amongst ourselves. We are a imperfect people. But what makes us belong to Jesus is not us. It's not our works. It's not our good deeds. It's not our performance. Is that we have been purchased by Jesus, that we have placed our faith in his blood, that we believe that he is who he said that he is, and we confess him as Lord. Jesus, you are king of the universe, and I want you to be king of my life. And I want to encourage you today, if you're listening to this message, to give your life to Jesus, to run to him. He is the only fixed, sure foundation And other people may come and say that the way to be reconciled with God is through Buddha, is through Confucius, is by being a good person, is by meditating, is by becoming in your own strength. But if you believe that, it is as if you are drinking spiritual Tylenol that is laced with cyanide. You are still Lord of your own life. Today, Jesus is inviting you into a relationship with him. 
to become his learner, his pupil. And you do that by faith like Peter did, not having it all figured out. You do it by saying, I am a sinner in need of salvation. And to the church, I want to encourage you in this passage, like Peter, to accept Jesus as Lord. And to accept Jesus as Lord means to confess him as Lord and to live as the conquering people of God. But it also means to submit to his lordship and to submit uh, to being a learner, to take the things that you love about him and his word, as well as the things that are hard for you and to allow his word to shape you, to allow your mind to be renewed in him and transformed day by day. That means that sometimes he'll rebuke you and sometimes he'll allow his people to rebuke you out of love so that you can be restored and healthy as a Christian. We see in this text that Jesus continues after verse 18 and he talks to Peter about how he's given Peter the keys to the kingdom of God and whatever Peter and the disciples bind on earth will be bound in heaven and loosed on earth will be loosed on heaven. We're going to talk about exactly what that means in a couple weeks. But what I want you to see is that that is at its basis great authority. Even though we are a becoming people, a sometime messy people, God has entrusted in his church authority. We, as the people of God, must steward what God has done for us, how he has saved us, how he has opened our eyes to see Jesus as Lord. And we must walk in that. We are his bride. We are his body. We are the pillar of truth. And one day he is coming back for us and he will make all things right. And every Sunday we celebrate what Jesus has done by taking communion. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he blessed it. He said, this is my body broken for you. In the same way, he took a cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood shed for you. Christian, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Here at Sojourn, we take a piece of bread, we dip it in wine or juice. The wine is marked by twine, whatever your conscience permits. And today we are not going to take a communion. We're going to wait as a church to take it together. But even while your heart longs to take it together in person with the body of Christ, remember who you are. Remember that you are the called out ones. Live in such a way, looking to Jesus as your Lord your Savior, the only true foundation. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com slash midtown.